0: Divided desires that result, as we've seen in James, in actual spiritual adultery and friendship with the world. They remain, but these are deadly tumors in us that must be addressed. James talks as though we must be mournful over sin rather than comfortable in it, proud of it, apathetic about it. Wealth and luxury deceive us since they make us forget that God is sovereign, as we learned in chapter 4, verses 13 through 17. But we'll notice tonight how this kind of subsection here in the first six verses of chapter 5 opens with the same words, the exact same call to be heard that James had used in 4.13. That's because both of these admonitions are calling people out for not acknowledging God's will. In 4.13 through 17, it was our refusal to acknowledge God's sovereign hand over our lives and their direction as a whole on a daily basis. While tonight, in 5.1 through 6, he addresses our refusal to acknowledge God's will in properly loving our neighbors, namely with the things we have been given and the things we have. Our idolatrous hearts cause us to neglect the most important command we have, the royal law, he called it into a love your neighbor as yourself. Now, we know from Romans, from Galatians, that we're not under the law any longer as a covenant obligation, that if we don't keep, we're condemned and left out of the covenant. But the law is not evil, never has been, and still reveals God's will for how his people ought to live in this world. We're still called to love our neighbors as ourselves, and apparently, especially for these congregations to which James was writing, they were failing in this regard so badly that he talks to them often like they're not believers at all. Few things then reveal a bigger disconnect between our faith that we profess and our practice than pursuing our own comfort and security at the expense of our neighbors, regardless of the excuses we might use to justify an attitude of the heart like that. We need to return then, or be returned again and again to what we have received from Christ and in Christ so that our hearts towards others are shaped by grace rather than by our own desires. Let me pray. Father, thank You for Your Word tonight. Let us hear these words as they were given. Let them do to us by Your Spirit what needs to be done. Lord, we pray that as Your Word, like a sword, opens us up tonight, that it would come once more and heal us, that we may be increasingly like Your Son. We pray these things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Verse 1, come now, you rich. Weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you. You remember back in chapter 1 verse 11, James said the rich are fading away in the midst of their pursuits for more, for wealth, for security in this world. As those whose passions then were so much at conflict within that they had become friends of the world in spiritual adultery who needed to submit themselves to God instead and draw near to Him. So the rich among them must come to terms with the extent to which they trust in their riches, I, I, I do think it's best to take James's intended addressees in this section as the rich in general, especially inside the church, but also outside the church. This section is a little different, though, from the previous admonition section because here there is no explicit call to repentance, like there was earlier in chapter four. He just drops these words of judgment on them, and then he moves on in verse seven. I don't think that means that there's no repentance available even though the verbs are mostly in the past tense as though what he's warning them about has already happened. But it does up the ante regarding the fact that they had better repent, especially those who claim the name Christian. And since Jesus has come and died and risen and ascended to the right hand of the Father where He now waits to return in judgment there is a sense, a very real sense in which it's as good as done. If the course isn't changed, these judgments will happen. So this section is loaded with intensity. It's a very heavy warning. To the degree that any reader of James fits the description given here, then this text is for them. We don't live lives of perfection. that's not what's being called for here.'re not even close. but if we don't live lives of repentance, especially when the Bible is so clear to us about the things that are sinful, If we don't live lives of repentance, again, we have no reason to think we'll escape judgment. James talks as if unrepentance makes us ripe for judgment now, right? Beloved, we have to recognize the danger inherent in wealth and riches. We we, we really do need to face this. It is not a sin to be wealthy. It is not a sin to be rich, to have a lot. Especially when you've worked very hard to get where you are and have what you have. And so that, that isn't a sin. That That's not the issue here. But the way the Scriptures address our hearts has to be kept in mind with every command we hear for practical living. We have to understand the inherent desire in us to disagree with and disobey and reject the Word or get around it when we hear it. I'm not like that with my wealth. Listen to the text and listen to what's being said. Our idol-making hearts do not do well with things that we perceive are able to give us security and or let us indulge our desires. Right? It's, it's, when Jesus says things like, look, it's not what goes into a man that defiles him, but what comes out, that means, again, the creation is good and God's provision is good. The law is good. What happens when it hits our hearts? We take it as an opportunity to indulge our flesh. And so, somebody has to have money or needs in the world won't be met. It's not a sin to be wealthy. What we need to recognize is that our hearts do not want to submit what the Bible tries to teach us about the danger inherent in wealth and in money. One of the biggest issues in this is that it disproportionately affects those in need When we are in love with our money, which is precisely what Christ came to address in humanity, our need. We don't know whether or not we worship wealth by whether or not we have a shrine in our house where we bow down to, you know, the dollar, our savings accounts, or all that. That's not how we would know whether or not we worship money. In Scripture, what keeps coming out is that we know what we really believe about our wealth mainly by how we treat others when we have it. This is a problem for these congregations in James. And he questions their profession of faith because of it. Again, James, as with any other human being, doesn't have the authority to tell somebody you're not saved. But the tone with which he writes and the way that he addresses these people is inspired by the Holy Spirit. And there's something about this in particular. This is really the second or third time in this letter he's honed in on this aspect. This wealth and riches and money There's something about that that is uniquely revealing about where our heart is. James will intermingle several warnings about wealth in these next few verses. He intermingles language from the Old Testament prophets as well as images and teaching from our Lord Jesus Himself. So let us hear the word then tonight as though it was written for us. To me, weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you. The rich are in danger here. Again, he's... He's willing to speak to believers as though they're unbelievers. Paul does this. Uh, 2 Timothy 3.15 is a text like that. The fact that there is no blatant call to repentance. So there is no, um, you know, uh, draw near to the Lord. He will draw near to you. Submit yourselves therefore to God. Humble yourselves. You don't read that here. But the fact that there isn't that. There is no blatant call to repentance implies the necessity of repentance in an even greater way. It's like, it, it, it's, it's, you're very close to judgment. It's like all he has to say here. Verse two, your riches have rotted already is how he writes it, and your garments are moth eaten. Who does that, who does that language remind you of? Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. I love the way Jesus talks, right? Don't lose. Don't lose gain. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. That's our Lord Jesus in Matthew 6, 19-21. So James is telling the rich their possessions have already rotted. Their garments have already been consumed by moths. Their lack of acknowledging their sin, of repenting of their sin, In this area, the sin of loving and depending on their wealth or their, for their security at the expense of the needy among them has put them in a position that from the outside makes them look like they're being judged in God's sight. Verse three, your gold and silver have corroded and their corrosion will be evidence against you and will eat your flesh like fire. That's how the prophets spoke. Your corrosion will eat your flesh like fire. You have laid up treasure in the last days. Again, hear the Lord Jesus speaking there. You have laid up treasure in the last days. That's how big of a deal this is. Their sinfulness of misusing their wealth is heightened in this section. Why? Why is it such a big deal now to misuse your wealth, to lay up treasure for yourselves on earth? Because with the coming of Christ, the last days have come upon mankind. We are on the clock since the resurrection. They're committing this gross sin, James says, in the last days. We're near judgment and you all are living like this, he says, to these audiences. They're, they're living like Christ has not come and finished His work and is even now at the door when all that is true. This last sentence is why verses 2 and 3 are true of them, isn't it? Rather than laying up treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy they've disobeyed the clear word of Jesus they've laid them up in this world instead that isn't really talking about investments and savings accounts and things like that it's it's laying up treasures for yourself in the world is a matter of not being Christ like more than anything else Laying up a treasure in heaven is giving things away for the sake of those in need. That's what Christ did for the joy that was set before Him, right? That's, that's a way of life the Bible is describing to us there. Laying up treasures on earth is, is tantamount to having already lost them because the world is incapable of preserving them. Silver and gold have corroded. Think about that for a minute. Silver and gold don't corrode. Precious metals don't rust. The things James speaks of here don't normally happen in the ordinary course of time. But that's not where we are. Because they do happen, they do corrode in the last days. Spiritually speaking, this is how they look in light of eternity. And their corrosion is going to be a judgment against us. You trusted in this heap of rust and ash at your feet. All wealth is ultimately worthless to God, right? Notice that the things the rich are preserving and keeping and trusting are the very things that will end up betraying them. They won't provide what the rich think and hope they will provide. They will be evidence that gets them judged. Remember the rich fool of whom Jesus spoke in Luke 12, 20-21? Right? God's verdict on the rich man was that since he was not rich toward God, but trusted in his wealth for his security and his assurance, he would lose his soul. And again, there's a way to love money and for money to be your God when you're very poor. Statements like, eat the rich, right? That's a, that's a big one now. Eat the rich. Well, yeah, as long as you're not the rich, right? If you had the money, you probably wouldn't say that. So it's not a moral principle. It's envy. Can be envy. Jealousy, because we all love wealth and want what wealth can do for us. He trusted in his wealth for his security and assurance, the rich man. And God said that he would lose his soul for that. And the whole world is not worth one human soul. That's what Jesus says. Now, here in verse 4. James calls them out with this word. In other words, um, oh, let, let me read it. Look at verse four here. Behold. So that word is, it's signaling a, a a bit of a transition, but not to a different topic. Behold. It's it's as if this is the point he's been heading toward. He said one through three so that he could say verse four. Here is how James knows they love their wealth, right? That you can't see my heart. You don't know how I feel about my wealth. James says, "Oh, I know how you feel about your wealth." The wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud, are crying out against you. And the cries of the harvesters harvesters have reached the Lord of hosts. Evidence of their having laid up their treasures on earth, that's not in the way they talk about their money or feel about their money. It's provided, that evidence is provided by the way they unjustly treat the people who work for them. They've committed fraud against those people by withholding decent wages from them. And the laborers and their employ are suffering as a result. The problem is that God hears the cries of the needy and is aware of their sin. They've been crying out. Do you remember Exodus chapter 2? When those who are oppressed and in need cry out, God hears. It's the same type of language. And here, the cries of the oppressed also reach the ears of God. Now, God is omnipresent, omniscient, omnipotent. God hears everything. So in the Scripture, when God takes the time to tell us that He heard something, we really need to take note of this. James keeps depicting inanimate objects, wages in this verse, as coming alive. This is the prophetic language of impending doom on the rich or for the rich. God, this has always been something very close to God's heart, apparently, if we may speak of Him that way. Deuteronomy 24, 14 and 15. You shall not oppress a hired man who is poor and needy, whether from among your brothers or among the sojourners who are in your land, within your city gates. On the same day you shall give him his wage, before the sun sets on him, for he is poor and he sets his desire on it. The wage. Right? I need money I'm working you said you would pay me they set their desire on that they hope rightly rightfully to get paid for their work lest he cry out to Yahweh against you and it will constitute sin on you so the rich in these congregations this is a uh, they have laborers have workers it was a very different culture but there are ways in which this carries over to today many are unjustly paid for the work they do and many are taken advantage of when we were down in uh, Brawley, California. There were a lot of folks that were here illegally. You I'm not that, that's wrong. I'm not justifying that or trying to uh, make a case for that. That's that's wrong. We we need to have a border and, and laws and all. So please don't um, don't misunderstand what I'm saying. However, when people are in a situation where they're trying to hide and don't want to be seen, you can pay them next to nothing. And they can't. They can't say anything about it. They can't go to anybody. If uh, a wife was being abused, came to me, I can't help her. It's because she says you cannot go to the police, because if the police find out she's here, they'll deport her back. And so again, w- the issue here is not. I get it. I get it. I'm not, I'm not patronizing. Like, I'm not talking about the law. Okay, that's what I'm talking about is people. You can't, even if people are here illegally. You, we, as, as believers, we can't just mistreat them, right? Again, you need to abide by the letter of the law. I'm not, not after that. What I'm saying is, is that people that are in a needy position can be taken advantage of very easily, and that's sinful. And God sees it, and He hears their cries. Right? We 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 do need to be a little more concerned about the souls of people than we are earthly things, right? We can at least, I would hope, agree on that. But the, the rich in these congregations were severely mistreating the poor and needy. Those of lower status among them. Which is so awful in the eyes of God, because that's what the rich in the world do. Malachi 3, five. All through the Old Testament, God will judge those who oppress the hired worker regarding his wage. James stays consistent throughout this letter. That the way they are with their wealth is evidence once again of the root issue there, idolatry and worldliness. This is another way it's coming out that this is how they are. But notice the divine intensity of the warning here that we're given in the name God uses for Himself here by way of the Holy Spirit. And the cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. That is God's title as the commander of angel armies. That's the military name for God. Probably quoting Isaiah 5.9, where God is a warrior who will bring disaster on those who oppress the poor. And given the context of these verses, and it's the last days, where it's Jesus and His coming on whom the focus is going to fall immediately in verse 7, we ought to understand here that the Lord of hosts is none other than the risen Christ Himself. The One who watches the churches, walks among the lampstands, sees them all. Nothing is hidden from Him. Nothing. We live with such impunity. Nothing is hidden. Nothing is unheard by the eyes and ears of Almighty God. How we use what we have is what He sees. And that's how He knows whether we love and trust in our money and in our riches. Even, even here at our church, beloved, the Lord knows and he sees what we do with what we've been given as a church. And, and God does not give persons or churches abundance to sit on. Right? And I'm not making a, a, a plea here for an up budget. This is not my point tonight. I'm saying in our hearts we must be aware that we're not given abundance to keep, really. To look at and say, look how much we've got. We're safe. We, we can build bigger barns, etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. That's a foolish way of speaking. right? Jesus would call us fools. Verse 5, You have lived on earth in luxury and in self-indulgence. You have fattened your hearts in a day of slaughter. Wow. Again, even if this is addressing unsaved rich people in general, they didn't get the letter. The church got the letter. The congregations are reading this from James. God is aware of their idolatry and their love for the world. They've been living as though there's no judgment or accountability as if God doesn't know how they are. Which is what having luxury can reveal about us what we really trust in, a lack of awareness regarding our need and our own spiritual poverty. Wealth can uniquely reveal that we still love the world. I think that's part of what's happened in America, in the church. It's It's been so good for so long. And we've adjusted to it as though the temporal uh, things we have and enjoy which are good from the hand of God are also not ultimate and not promised to last and This is such a key part of our identity. And he says, like a cow who eats and eats and eats because there are tons of food, just to be satisfied, not realizing that all that's doing for a cow is making itself a great candidate to be slaughtered. The fatter a cow gets, right? The rich in their luxury and self-indulgence are doing the exact same thing. Verse 6, you have condemned and murdered the righteous person. He does not resist you. Or, in your translation may read, does he not resist you as a question, right? We'll get into that in a second. But this is how far it's gone, then. This is where they are. Considering chapter 4 verse 2, remember, that this, this all is very tightly packed. Since the desires, why do people murder? Because they desire and can't obtain, right? They desire something they can't get it. James says that's why you murder. That's why there's murder in the world. Since the desires of even the rich are never satisfied because the world can't do that, what do the rich do? They murder like anyone else. Denying laborers their wages is a form of hatred towards their brothers and sisters rather than loving their neighbors. So it could be that. It could be the spiritual murder of hating someone not by saying i hate you i can't stand you but by not paying them a good wage or a promised wage be aware in the bible of how seriously iniquity is and what it is that god outs as sin and idolatry like that's that's murder like to mistreat the poor like that you're you're murdering Yes, because to God, that's hatred. And hatred is the same as murder. When you hate somebody, you would kill them if you could get away with it. But it's also quite possible that by denying wages, people were literally starving and dying. That could also be the case. Remember chapter 2, verse 6, where the rich among them were dragging poor people into church courts. Right. I mean, so don't put it past them. That could have been the case. The, the rich, the more that you have, the, the more you are able to manipulate and control so that they get their way. And listen, if somebody has to be knocked off, if somebody's in the way, I'm Italian. I know all the stories. People get whacked. You know, if they're in the way, they can make that happen too. God says they're unjust. They're unjust. That's an amazing thing. That's a whole other sermon. But God sees it all. And in this state of willful ignorance and neglect, they're not realizing how dangerously close they are to destruction. So close, in fact, that what they ought to be doing is weeping and howling for the miseries that are coming upon them. Since they're already being talked about in the prophetic past tense that Almighty God will use when He wants to make a point. The unrepentant have no reason for assurance, beloved. The repentant have every reason for assurance. Those that hear this and repent, they are forgiven. They should be assured that they are in Christ, right? But unrepentance, there's no, like, there's no security there. There's no reason to have assurance there. Who is this righteous person in verse 6? And, and is it a question? Does he not resist you at the end of verse 6 or is it a statement like it reads in the ESV that I use, he does not resist you? There there really is a lot of debate over this. I don't I mean it's not a matter of our faith, right? But but it is important. I think James probably means to encompass kind of all these things here, right? In in one sense to the degree that the poor represent those whose only provision and hope is in God, they would be the righteous people being persecuted. And that would make sense in context, right? But it is singular. And the wording there really only ever applies to Christ. We know from the New Testament when people oppress and mistreat and persecute His people, God sees it as them mistreating and persecuting Jesus Himself. The righteous person. Even in Acts 9-6, when Saul is called out on the road, what does Jesus say? You're persecuting me when you persecute my people. And who is Jesus? The righteous one who became what for you and I? Poor. Poor. That's what Jesus chose to make Himself to become what you and I need. To reveal who God is to humanity. Jesus became poor. The point in verse 6 is that the rich have hated and even murdered those whom God calls His own. Whether it's His Son or His people whom they are persecuting the Son by persecuting His people. And while it's true they in a sense then are oppressing those who don't resist them, it's also true that for that reason God resists them. So, beloved, what is the solution tonight to such gross sin? Heinous wickedness, right? When we have stacked up this much judgment, when we have ignored God's clearly revealed will in His Word to such a degree as this that we could be spoken to justifiably as unbelievers, that we would trust in and value our wealth even at the expense of those in need, When we've been given pure grace and abundance in many cases, where do we turn? What can we do when the Word just crushes? Judgment is coming for such people. Beloved, we repent and ask for God's grace again. there's, There's no other thing to do. When we lack confidence and faith for our security, the meeting of all our needs in and through Christ. When we are like that, we become graceless, merciless, ironically insecure, greedy, and loveless people. Like right? this, what James is getting at here is that mistreating the poor, be, being unjust to these laborers, trusting in your riches. What it's revealing is that our hearts are not content in Christ for us. We, his provision, what he promises to give, is not enough. And so we, we, we lack hope in him and faith in him. And then we start to lack assurance. And we, and so all of this, rather than Jesus carrying that burden for us so that we're free to love and serve, we're trying to carry all this burden and we don't have time or the heart to love and serve. What's going on in sin all the time is a lack of worship and trust and confidence and hope and faith in Christ. God is not asking us or telling us to save the poor of the world and end global poverty. That's not what this is about. That's not what He calls us to do. Jesus was quite clear that we would always have the poor with us in Mark fourteen seven, The world has fallen. We're not going to eradicate poverty. We're not going to eradicate hunger, unfortunately. Very Unfortunately. God doesn't put the weight of saving the world on our shoulders. His Son bore that weight. He's the only one who could. But nothing, nothing apparently shows that our hope is in God more than how we treat our own neighbors that are right in front of us, especially the needy, in particular with what we've been given financially, both as individuals and as a church. It's not that God doesn't care that so many are starving. God would say, I've left you here. There are few things in Scripture God takes so seriously as a lack of helping those in need. He even calls it injustice. So let us repent for where we have done this, where we are doing this, and ask the Spirit to help show us where we might do what He commands. The Spirit will help. He will guide We have a lot of people come to the church weekly and ask for money and things like that. And we have a streamlined way that we address that now. We have food cars that we have from Kroger that we give out. And again, we we can't meet every need. That's not. But again, don't ignore the teaching of Scripture by by putting it in an arena. It's not. God is not saying you've got to you've got to save the world and save the poor and end world hunger and bring about world peace. No, no, no. He's simply saying love your neighbor as yourself. That's what James is getting at. Like, just love your neighbor as yourself. Right? We don't know everything. Every time somebody comes and asks the church for, for money or things, we wonder like, should we give it? Should we not? How do we know? And of course there are people. The majority of people that come, you can tell by the Consistency and the rhythm are taking advantage of us, and so sometimes it's it's very hard. And then sometimes you say no, and you feel bad. And so the, the deacons will deal with that in benevolent issues. It's like you can't say yes to everything. And how do we know when we're supposed to help, beloved? Trust the Spirit. Trust God's desires for us, and He will show us the way. It is very hard sometimes. But God takes being deliberately unjust and unkind and selfish and stingy very seriously. Very seriously. We need to return again and again to what we have received from Christ. Freely. Pure spiritual welfare. And in Christ. So that our hearts towards others would be shaped by what we have been given rather than by our own desires for the things we want or wish for, which can be very good things. But anything claimed at the expense of obeying the Lord is a sin. we've, We've taken that opportunity. The lack of grace in us that we withhold from others, because that's what happens when we love the world, we begin to lack grace for others. That can only be healed by the unending, overflowing grace of God towards us in Jesus Christ. So, beloved, what we need to do coming out of this text is trust our Lord. We need to realize that all we could buy and possess and hold on to here can very quickly and easily become corrupted sand in our own hands. And here's the reality. It is sand. It looks very secure and very set Today, that we have these things, and beloved, it is literal sand in light of the fact that we're in the last days. God isn't saying you can't have that. God is saying don't hang on to that. It will do nothing for you. Only Christ and what is done for Him is what will last. Remember, remember, so when you read a text like this, Remember the text we looked at this morning, okay? Remember what is happening in us, what is natural in us when we hear things like, this is how I want you to treat the poor. What do we know this flesh will do with that command in light of Romans 7? It will seize the opportunity through that command to double down, refuse to repent, and disobey. Don't listen to yourself right now. Talk to yourself right now. The priority here from the text is found in understanding how desperately we need to learn to depend on Christ. That's the best thing we can do when we read a text that clearly, if it doesn't out us as what he's describing, outs us as knowing that at any moment we could probably become like that. The the human heart is, is deceitful and sick and twisted and Only Jesus can heal the ache of insecurity and fear and greed that leads us to neglect the needs of our neighbor. And it is there, as we learn more and more about His love and trust His promise more and more, it's there that we become like Him and loving and serving those in need. And again, you're not being asked to save the world. We're not even being asked to save All the poor in Moundsville in this regard. Although in our hearts we would love to do this. And that that isn't a way to get around serving people. beloved. What God would have us do is focus on the faces He puts in front of us. Because again, if we're thinking I have to save all of Moundsville and I have to save all these people that are hurting and all these people that are abused, nothing will happen because we don't have the capability to meet such great needs. The Christian thing to do. Is to love the people God has in front of you. If He wants you to do more, He will reveal it to you, beloved. He'll make it known. Just don't neglect what has been commanded to feel righteous by wishing you could fix everybody. Right? Don't, don't get caught up in that. It's such a noble thing, a godly thing, a divine thing to want to help people who are hurting. But it's still not the way we get saved. It still can't be used as righteousness. Love the people. And the, the pe- listen. Well, who am I supposed to help? Who's close to you? Start there. Who do you live by? Right? Who? Who? I mean, who are you? Think, think of um, who is my neighbor. Whoever's there. Right? Let us learn to let Christ have His way in us. Rather than continue thinking or believing that this world and all it offers has anything for us, it doesn't. Would you stand, beloved? Now, again, I don't. I don't know of specific people in our church that love their money and mistreat the poor. Right? I, I don't. I suppose it's always happening or somewhere or always possible. So maybe the text doesn't relate to you in that immediate sense, right? If it does, then repent and, and own it before God. He knows it anyway. But at the very least, I would say, recognize how fragile our hearts are and how even if we can't be described as rich, we still somewhere believe that if we were, things would be better. And in some way, they would. If you've ever not been able to pay an electric bill or a gas bill, you know how much it stinks to not have money. right? So just don't get caught up in the, the fluff of it. Stay in the text. Recognize what your heart is going to do when it hears a command from God. The flesh is... You're going to desire to do right and evil's going to lie close at hand. So come before the Lord in prayer. Ask Him to fill up your heart with His truth and trust Him for each day.